sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. One of the big Supreme Court cases this term was the one involving the so-called Muslim ban, a case called Trump versus Hawaii, which most of us uh, may not think had any religious freedom overtones, but we're going to hear about them from one of the law professors in this country who's done the most on religious freedom issues for many, many years, Carl Esbeck from the University of Missouri. Carl, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. My pleasure to be here. And, you know, I don't mind saying here at the outset, I remember reading your law review articles on religious freedom when I was a lowly law student an awful long time ago. So, you know, I'm delighted that you have stuck with it and you've made an enormous contribution. But let's uh, let's jump right in. Tell us, how does religious liberty figure into this case about the travel ban? Well, as you're suggesting, Trump versus Hawaii isn't normally thought of as a religious freedom case. But uh, this case came out 5-4, had a lot of attention. Uh, The so-called resistance to all things Trump, of course, were on one side and the president on the other. And uh, it was particularly controversial because the president uh, tweeted and said during campaign speeches and later as speeches as president-elect and then uh, a new president. He said a lot of intemperate things concerning Muslims in support of this uh, Muslim immigration ban. So the, the ban went through three iterations, but basically it said as to seven or eight majority Muslim countries, plus two others, North Korea and Venezuela, that they were going to put hold or ban on all visas from those countries of people trying to enter the United States until they could do a more thorough background check. And of course, the idea was uh, national security or preventing any immigrants into the U.S. that turned out to be terrorists. So the There were really two basic issues. One was, did the president have the authority to issue such a ban? And then, somewhat surprisingly, in a sleeper issue, did the ban violate either the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause? Because, after all, this certainly gave the appearance of discrimination against a group of people solely because of their religious faith or their affiliation with Islam. So that, of course, raises, as you know, discrimination, uh, religious freedom issues. Well, the lower courts, uh, there were actually four different lawsuits um, filed, and preliminary injunctions were entered against the president. And There was a bit of a forum selection going on. The lawsuits were filed. 
before people who were judges, federal judges to be sure, but they were known to be sympathetic to the left or the liberal side of these kinds of issues. So as was thought would happen, uh, those courts not only entered a preliminary injunction, but made that preliminary injunction nationwide. So it completely shut down the executive orders issued by the president. So that nationwide nature of a frustration of a major executive initiative of a brand new president, that became an issue as well. So this particular case came out of the Ninth Circuit. That's uh, your home state and the West Coast. And then, of course, the state of Hawaii. And there, the Ninth Circuit um, affirmed nationwide preliminary injunctive relief, but did so simply on the grounds of statutory interpretation. In other words, the court said that in a a federal act called the Immigration and Nationality Act, an act that had, had been around for 30 or 40 years and has been amended from time to time, that Congress did not give the president the authority to enter such an absolute ban. So, That particular issue went up from the Ninth Circuit. Meanwhile, over in the Fourth Circuit, so we're talking about the mid-Atlantic South, the Fourth Circuit agreed with that interpretation, but they also said that the president's actions were discriminatory on the basis of religion, and that violated the Establishment Clause. So when the U.S. Supreme Court took up this case, again, out of the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit didn't have the Establishment Clause issue, the justices added on as a second issue, did this violate the Establishment Clause? So a little bit awkward. Here we had a Ninth Circuit case before the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, but they tacked on a basis for the ruling, which didn't come out of the Ninth Circuit, but came out of the Fourth. So that was start, if you will, Carl, and explain the reasoning behind, you know, the Fourth Circuit saying, well, you know, this is there's sufficient evidence that's discriminatory and to be discriminatory against a particular religion would violate the Establishment Clause. Why would that violate the Establishment Clause? Well, that, of course, the problem, if you think of the Establishment Clause, uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's suggested that somehow government has preferred religion or supported religion or at least entangled itself with religion in a way which is uh, meant to be well-meaning, but in fact uh, is retarding to religion. And here you have just the opposite. You have the government ostensibly discriminating against or pushing down a religion. So you, you don't establish a religion by discriminating against it. So on the text, it's very odd. And yet the counsel arguing the case, both the Solicitor General for the government and counsel for the plaintiff, They didn't seem to tumble to the fact that there's a textual problem with the Establishment Clause claim until we got to oral argument. So let me me stop you for a second because, you know, I'm thinking back. I haven't read the Fourth Circuit decision, but I'm thinking back about Justice Sandra Day O'Connor's contributions to the court's jurisprudence on the Establishment Clause. And I think the Supreme Court was very receptive in many cases to her kind of take that, 
you know, what the Establishment Clause requires is a government neutrality that neither endorses and promotes or prefers one religion over another, or on the other hand, you know, disparages and in this case would be discriminates. So I can see under that view of government neutrality as required by the Establishment Clause that this kind of, you know, if there was sufficient evidence of discriminatory animus on the basis of religion, that that could be held to be an Establishment Clause issue. If you take that and break it down, you've got two things there. One is uh, the government can't favor one religion over another, but we don't have that here. Uh, Islam is being disfavored, but there's no religion on the other side that is being promoted or favored. And then certainly government can't prefer religion over non-religion in most cases, but here you have the reverse of that. You have, if anything, secularism or secular reasoning, national security, being preferred over religion, just the reverse of a religious preference. If you want to get to religious discrimination, what you really have is a free exercise case. And indeed, that's why at oral argument, counsel for the plaintiff, when this came up, he started arguing cases like the Church of Lakumi, which, as you know, is a free exercise clause case, not an establishment clause case. So it was kind of interesting what was happening at uh, oral argument. Now, in modest defense of what the plaintiff was doing, he did, back in his pleadings in the trial court, he didn't just allege an Establishment Clause case, but also stated a free exercise case and also a RIFRA case, uh, an acronym meaning the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is sort of like the free exercise clause. And so he had that in his pleadings, but the rulings below both in the trial court and the Ninth Circuit, weren't based on free exercise or on RIFRA. So when all the dust settles and the Supreme Court rules five to four in favor of the president, they remanded the case. Remember, the procedural posture here was preliminary injunction. So they remanded the case for further proceedings, and the further proceedings are going to be under the free exercise clause and also under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So the case is still ongoing, even though it's dropped out of the the news of the uh, reflected in a popular media. Very, very interesting. So, yeah, and it's unusual for the Supreme Court to take a case that is at the preliminary injunction stage. And just again, for our listeners sake, uh, so you understand kind of the the process of a lawsuit uh, at an early stage of a case a court may be asked to issue a court order, which is what a preliminary injunction is. And in order to get that court order, a party has to prove that, number one, they're likely to prevail, that they have a good, solid case that they deserve to win, and that if they get this order in right away, there's some harm, some irreparable harm is going to take place. So the harm here, obviously, would be people that would be unable to come to this country for various purposes. Um, So that's been removed out of this case. And now we get to the merits, I guess, of, well, what's the substance of this ban? Is it legal, et cetera? Yeah, and of course, we'll open it up for an, an evidentiary hearing, and uh, it may go off on cross motions for summary judgment after evidence comes in, or there may even be a trial if some of the evidence is disputed. 
and then findings of fact, conclusions of law, and then and then a ruling. And you're you're quite right. It's unusual for a Supreme Court to take a case just on preliminary injunction, but here. They probably did so for two reasons combined. Number one, the preliminary injunction was a nationwide preliminary injunction. Right. And there are conservatives on the court that do not like that. If if the injunctive relief had been confined to the state of Hawaii where the trial court was, that, that would have been uh, less problematic for the governmental machinery to carry out its policy. Well, the second thing is we're dealing with national security, which is to say, from the president's standpoint, he's trying to stop people who are refugees from immigrating into the U.S., but in fact are disguised as refugees but are really terrorists. So that issue is kind of beyond the scope of the show, at least uh, in the one minute remaining. Uh, Talk to us about whether the court even addressed the issue of Trump's, as you call it, intemperate language, and whether that was relevant to its its final outcome. Yeah, I certainly don't condone what he said about Islam. Uh, but the court gave a very, very light standard of review, which went back to a case called Mandel, a very old case decided in 1972. And they said, even when Rights in the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the Establishment Clause, for example, even when that's what's at issue here, we're going to give a very, very low standard of review to what the government is doing in this narrow circumstance where a visa is denied to a foreign national and then somebody in the U.S. sues claiming injury because of that denial of a visa. Uh, This has been a fascinating discussion with Professor Carl Esbeck, law professor from the University of Missouri, about the so-called Muslim ban or travel ban case of Trump versus Hawaii. Carl, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring. We need to do it again soon. Yes, let's do it again. All right. And as we close, listeners, remember, we don't just talk about religious freedom here at Freedom's Ring. We represent individuals who suffer religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And Freedom's Ring is also available on SoundCloud and, of course, on iTunes. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.